feel like a lot of people still had always like questioned me. The runaway from Delaware <laughs> who would never make it as a pro. Like the moment I came away with MVP, like that was huge. Welcome to the Just Women Sports Podcast, where we talk to the biggest athletes in the world about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is Elena Deladon. Elena Deladon is someone who has reached the pinnacle of her sport while taking a path that's uniquely her own. A two-time WNBA MVP and six-time All-Star, she's the first and only WNBA player to join the prestigious 50-40-90 club. Elena has also won an Olympic gold with Team USA, and in 2019, while playing with three herniated discs, she led the Washington Mystics to their first ever WNBA championship. Elena, welcome to the show. Thank you. And thanks for that intro. Yeah. <laughs> that was it's impressive. <laughs> pretty incredible. Going over the script today and just reading up on you, I was like, geez, this is such a fascinating, crazy story. Like your career, your life has been insane in the best way possible yeah you know I'm always like a person who tends to internalize things and okay. then I like drop bombs <laughs> yeah so um the excitement of my story comes from certain bomb droppings or like injuries or illness so for sure yeah it's, for sure. it's made it uh super interesting I guess <laughs> well to start off how are you doing right now I'm doing pretty well I'm still recovering from my second back surgery yep I had my first one pretty soon after winning the championship so I'm glad we won it was worth it yeah um and then I recently well in December I had to go back for a second surgery um I had somehow re-herniated a disc so I had to clean that up and right now kind of still rehabbing uh doing like individual workouts I'm not in full practice quite yet okay and um just hoping to get back as soon as possible but backs can be uh, a little complicated yeah not something you want to mess with at all. No. No, definitely not. <laughs> oh, man. Well, to, you know, get to the back surgeries and how you ended up having to go through that, um, we're going to start from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I just want to hear, you know, how did you, the legend that you are, get into playing basketball? I actually started playing just because I have an older brother. Um, he's about two and a half years older than me. And kind of just like anything he was getting into, I wanted to like play along and uh, play with he and his friends. So I was probably like four years old when I started playing. And right away, it just, I don't know, it was just something about basketball that made it my favorite sport. Um, and I remember just like going outside trying to like copy Cheryl Swoops' moves. And nice. I became a sneakerhead pretty quickly <laughs> and like was obsessed with shoes. Like when you were that young? Yeah, when I was little. I actually, I think I loved basketball because there was a Cheryl Swoop shoe and like, I don't know, I just had to have it. Once I had it, I like thought I was Cheryl. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and then I got into like some Jordan shoes too. So shoes might be the reason I fell in love with the game of basketball. That's awesome. I love that. So <laughs> your older brother, you just kind of followed him around mm -hmm. and wanted to do what he could do. And I, I read that you were kind of following him around and he was like, all right, I'm going to test her out. And you mm -hmm. ended up, he threw a pass at you, you ended up catching it behind your back and finished <laughs> a reverse layup. And he was like, all right, yeah. this, she, she can, she's going to be good. She's decent. <laughs> yeah. I knew like if I was going to be able to like play with both he and all of his friends, like I was going to have to be really good, um, like better than the rest of them. So I was putting in a lot of work on my own. And then when the time came to like show up, Somehow I made that reverse layup and it was like, all right, I'm here. It's go time. Okay. And this is in second grade. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when did you like get into organized basketball? Yeah. I started like YMCA at a really young okay. age, like probably when I was like five years old. Um, but then when I got into like more serious basketball, it was when I was 10. And that's when I started playing AAU basketball, which is like travel ball. And I was kind of able to see how I stood up to players outside of the little state of Delaware. Yeah. Because <laughs> in Delaware, I was like pretty good. Um, so then when I was able to go to nationals and compete against like teams from all across the country, I was like, oh, I'm still pretty good at this. And uh, kind of just motivated me to keep going and keep playing. <laughs> That's awesome. And I also read that you started working out with a personal trainer in second grade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, what did that look like? It, yeah. It's, it's a little crazy. It was more just like, I don't know. He would just kind of put 
my brother and I through drills. And um, from there, like we just kept progressing and I still work out with him to this day. So um, yeah, his name's John and John has been my trainer for my entire life. Like what? he's just really? awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. He's my basketball trainer specifically. Um, but we've like grown together. We've gone through some ups and downs throughout my career together. Uh, but he's the man. He's like an uncle to me. That's incredible that you guys have had that long of a relationship through your the entirety of your career. Yeah, for sure. And like, obviously, now that I'm in DC more, like we'll get back and forth, especially in the off season. But during season, like it'll just be like a text or something that kind of just gets me going or gets my mind right for whatever it may be coming up. Does he still like critique your shot? and stuff so actually my dad was like my shooting coach okay um he'll critique my moves like hey you could have gone by her here Mm. or hey why didn't you go to this move here but my dad is like my shot doctor um he he's a bit of a nerd like he studied arc patterns and shooting and like the best arc pattern for me to be successful so like whole whole he's constantly critiquing my shot and will come and work with me. That's so funny. So Kat mm-hmm. Osterman, her dad was kind of the same way because she's she pitches softball. And um, mm-hmm. I sat down with her, I think it was season two, and she talked about how he was a nerd in the sense of like looking at the arc of the ball and like the spin and that sort of thing on her pitches. So that's oh, cool. your so your dad was doing that when you were yeah. that young. Yeah. And still does it to this day. Um, so I guess my dad and uh, Kat Osterman's dad would be best friends. Maybe they should get together and start training younger kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys both turned out um, to be very, very successful. So it clearly worked. Yeah, thanks. Um, so you come from a tall family. Mm-hmm. You yourself are 6'6". At what point did you hit your growth spurt as a kid? So I wasn't one of those kids that like just all of a sudden shot out of nowhere and was okay. like super tall and like gangly and awkward. I mean, I was definitely awkward, still am, <laughs> still have no rhythm, uh, but I never had like that monstrous growth spurt. It was just, I was always growing and I just always remember being so much taller than anybody my in my age group. Um my mom even like tells a story. I used to like suck on binkies as a little kid or okay. pacifiers. I call them binkies. Yeah. And um, one day we were in the grocery store and I had my binky and some nosy person came over and was like, why does that eight year old have a binky? So first of all, that person should mind their own business. <laughs> yeah. Excuse you. But I was not eight. I was just very tall <laughs> and had my binky everywhere with me. Oh so yeah, gosh. I from a very young age till even now, I'm just taller than the rest. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I sucked my thumb until I was 10 years old. So, and I had well, to get that, that, terrible. That lady would have called you out <laughs> exactly. in the grocery store too. I don't know if I did it at the grocery store, but I can't believe I just admitted to that. But yeah, obviously <laughs> had to get braces for that. But um, yeah, I was going to ask all that. Yeah, all that. <laughs> had to take care of all that. Big problem. Me too. Yeah. Um, it happens to the best of us. What would you, <laughs> I, I feel like there's a lot of guys, they get, they're, they're super tall, they're taller than all their classmates, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they like that. But I feel like girls, especially in middle school, that time period, I myself, I wasn't mm-hmm. tall, but it was just like the awkward, you know, going through feeling awkward. Like, what would you say to them about being tall? Yeah, I mean, weird question, but like, I don't know. I feel like somebody would benefit from that for sure. And I needed to hear something when I was younger because I really struggled with it. And I, I was very uncomfortable at how tall I was. And people would even make fun of me. Like, yeah. kids weren't nice no. <laughs> about it. Um, but I would say, like, now it's my greatest power. Um, granted I've had some back issues probably because of how tall I am, but I wouldn't trade a single inch because it's weird when you're a kid, like all you want to do is fit in and you don't want to stand out and you just want to be like everybody else. But then it's like when you grow up and you get into the real world, the people who like stand out and who are different tend to be the most successful people. So I know like a kid hearing it. I remember my mom used to be like, you're going to end up loving your height one day. And I'm like, no, I'm not mom. Like you're so wrong. So hearing what I just said, they might not agree with me at this point in time, but in a couple years, you'll see that being unique is one of your greatest powers and you need to go with that. And 
people who are like cutting you down or making you feel uncomfortable or making you feel awkward are probably feeling awkward themselves. And that's why they're bullying or saying something mean. Absolutely. I completely agree. I feel like most of the bullying or people who are mean, it comes from, it's rooted in insecurity, which is important to remember. And, um, you know, hopefully we can all be nicer to each other. Be nice to each other, right? That's what we need. A lot of niceness. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So, um, you're tall, you're really good. You get a trainer in second grade. (laughs) At what point, first of all, did you play any other sports besides basketball growing up? Actually, when I was little, I played a little bit of soccer. Okay. All right. I was, I was midfield. Nice. Um, <laughs> I could just kick the ball really far when I was little, probably because I was pretty big. Yeah. Um, and then I did play a little bit of volleyball when I was like younger. And then later on, yeah. I got back into volleyball for a quick minute. But those were, those were really the only sports that I played. I played okay. like a tiny bit of t-ball, but... I don't know if I would even count that. Okay. So from an early age, it was basketball for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I specialized and I try to tell people like not to do that. Okay. I think playing a bunch of sports is just so healthy and so much better for kids. Um, you can develop all different skills by playing different sports that'll still work towards that one sport that you might want to go for later on. But yes, I, I do regret not continuing to play other sports because when you get like to college or to pros, it's like, it's a lot of, of just basketball. And I wish I would have had some of those other experiences, uh, for a longer period of time. I completely agree. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was definitely the do all the sports kid. Um, oh, that's awesome. And I can see, yeah. And I can see not, not only just from like a physical standpoint of, uh, the repetition of the same movement over and over again, and not having those other sports to contribute to, you know, Mm -hmm. the primary sport that you want to play, but also the mental piece of it, of it becomes almost like if that is your sole focus, if you are that young, so focused on one sport, I think burnout is so real Mm -hmm. um, and can happen much easier or much, it's much more likely if you're just focusing on one sport from an early age. Um, And you obviously, like you said, you did, and Mm -hmm. but you also were getting you know, the recognition and getting identified as this incredible player at such a young age. So how did mm-hmm. you handle that pressure and those expectations at, you yeah. know, in seventh grade when, when colleges were reaching out to you? Yeah, I, it was, it was so early that like, I mean, at first I was like super flattered, but I think instead of like expressing like, oh my goodness, like this is a lot of pressure. Um, I internalized that. Mm. And then I just like went crazy on training and like just trying to get better, get better, get better. Like, no, I can't go to that, that school dance because tomorrow morning I need to get up and go run my mile and a half or whatever I was doing at the time. Like I was insane. I was (laughs) super locked in. I just, was too locked in, unfortunately. Um, and it it ended up turning into a job way too soon. Mm-hmm. Um, even early on in high school, I just kind of stopped having that passion for the game. And it was just, I was driving myself into a wall because I knew the expectations were super high and I didn't want to let anybody else down, but I also didn't want to let myself down. So it just got to be way too much for me. Dang. I can, yeah. I mean, I wasn't nearly your level in, in high school and like the, the, <laughs> the expectations placed on you, but I can understand and like sympathize with that because it is intense as a high schooler to have all those expectations and the pressure. Do you, at what point were you like, okay, basketball is it like this? I have it to be able to be turn into who you are today. Yeah. I mean, I, think when I first started playing AAU and saw how I was stacking up to other players in the country, that's when I was like, Oh, I have it. Like I can, I can be really good at this. Yeah. And then it was solidified again when I got my first college offer in Mm. seventh grade. In seventh grade that it's like, yeah, (laughs) mind blowing. And, and I understand that it happens now more. It's like, it's just gotten younger and younger, but Mm -hmm. seventh grade. But back then it was, it was, that was weird. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, <laughs> I remember being in Sylvia, uh, her Sylvia Hatchell's office, 
And like, we're at like a team camp and she like calls me in and I was like, oh my gosh, like, did I do something wrong? Am I in trouble? (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm definitely in trouble. I'm being called to the principal's office basically. And she sits me down and offers me a scholarship and I was by myself. So I was just like, thanks. Like, I didn't know, like, am I supposed to say yeah? Yeah. (laughs) You know, like it just was such a different awkward moment. Like I didn't know even what to do. And like, I called my parents and obviously they were like so excited, but I was just kind of like, whoa, like this took a turn. No kidding. <laughs> so little... You were at their camp, like the college's camp. Yes. Yeah. We had like team camp and my high school was going to the camp, but they let me come too. Cause I was going to play as an eighth grader Okay, for my high school team. So we're at the team camp and I was offered a scholarship and I was like, wow, this is nuts. (laughs) Did you at that point, what did you say in return to the offer? Were you like, I need to think about it? Yeah. (laughs) Can I get back to you? Yeah. I was like, oh, thank you so much. This is awesome. But like, I think I need to call my parents and get back to you on this one. Um, Because I was still like such a kid and didn't really know how to handle that moment. But I did call my parents and they were like, awesome. Like, you don't have to make any decisions right now. Obviously, you're a seventh grader, like yeah. a lot will probably change in the next few years. <laughs> like she might not even be the coach there by the time that you're in college. So let's pump the brakes uh-huh. and try to just keep going the way you're going and enjoy yourself. Well, you kept going the way you were going, which was <laughs> up and you were sophomore in high school and you were attending mm-hmm. Nike All-American camps, which were typically for the best 80 or so juniors and seniors in high school. So walk us through what the high school experience was for you and how you went through looking at colleges and like where you ended Mm -hmm. up. Yeah. Um, so I was starting to be invited to like all these different camps or like elite, um, tournaments and things like that. So I would go to them, which I was like excited to go and play against the best juniors and seniors. And I would stack up like pretty well against them. And when that happened, that's when like the letters from different colleges would start to come. And my mom had to get uh, like extra baskets to put by our mailbox (laughs) because our mailbox would fill up. Um, So then they would have to put the overflow in another basket. But in that time, like I think there were some hints that I wasn't loving the process because Mm. Um, even my mom's like, I mean, duh, I should have figured this one out. Like you didn't read a single letter. Like I didn't read the letters. I didn't really, yeah, I didn't open a one letter. Like I had my mom do that all and I didn't care to see it. I didn't read any of the newspaper articles. Like if I was in the paper, it was more just like me, like thinking I'm like this racehorse and I need to stay on track, keep training. Don't let anything get to me. Um, but meanwhile, I'm internalizing a lot and I think the biggest thing that I didn't realize was like, I can control this path. Like I do know that most of the top recruits end up at that time, it was Connecticut or Tennessee. Okay. Um, But I could have easily just been like, okay, what's most important to me? Like I didn't want to go far from home. I have a severely handicapped older sister who can't see, can't hear. So we can't speak to one another unless like we are in a room together, literally touching. So I had to like say goodbye to my sister. Can you give a little bit more information, describe y'all's relationship? Yeah, of course. So Lizzie's my older sister. She was born both uh, deaf, blind, with cerebral palsy and a lot of other disabilities. So she probably functions at the level of like a two-year-old maybe. Um, And the way that we communicate is through like hand over hand sign language. So I could sign something into her, the palm of her hand and she'll feel that. And then she'll sign something into the palm of mine. And it's not like your typical sign language. It's literally like signs that she's kind of made up with my family. Mm -hmm. So we know each other, just, we know the signs from just kind of learning it together. Um, But for us, like our greatest communication is like hugs. Mm -hmm. She'll, pull me in, sniff my hair, give me a big kiss on the head. Like that's just how we interact and have to, like, I can't just FaceTime her or text her or any of that. Um, but by far I have learned the most in life 
from her, someone who's never spoken a word to me. So I think I've always kind of just taken that lesson in life. Like it's so much more than words. It's Mm. about like a feel for one another and understanding each other in a deeper way. And she's been everything to me, especially in like my toughest times. I've always looked to her for perspective and she kind of just pulls me out of whatever funk or thing I'm going through. (laughs) That's incredible. And I feel like that, I mean, just hearing that and for y'all the relationship is your presence with each other you know Mm -hmm. like that is that is the foundation of it yeah so I can't imagine being in that car going to Connecticut (laughs) realizing you won't see her you won't be able to to you know communicate with her for as long as you're away exactly yeah and at that time I was just way too young (laughs) for it to happen I wasn't ready Um, obviously now that I've had to go away and be a pro, um, it's something that through going to the university of Delaware and staying close to home in college, I was something I was able to get used to a balance of being away, but still finding ways to be in touch and then getting back to see her. And then gratefully being a pro, like in the off season, you've got a lot of freedom and it's a big reason why I don't go overseas and play all year round. Like I use my off season to get my Lizzie time in, um, and other things as well. I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and it's, it seems like you guys have like the most incredible special bond, which is so cool. And the fact that, and even just reading your story and preparing for this, the fact that everything you've gone through, I was like, oh, she definitely relies on Lizzie for <laughs> getting through the things that you've, you've had to go through. Yeah. So those were things that were clearly weighing on me. And I think I started kind of blaming basketball for the fact that I was going to have to leave home and go pretty far away. Um, So I kind of just went on the path I thought I was supposed to go on and committed to Connecticut. And um, you're supposed to report like in the summer to do summer school. So I get there. And I mean, I knew on the drive Mm -hmm. there, like, this is not right like really you could feel it yeah and the whole ride I'm like what am I doing like my heart's not in this I'm headed to Connecticut like the greatest program there is like if my heart's not in this there's no way I'm gonna be able to do this so yeah two days went by and um I packed up some of my stuff called a friend and literally like ran away from the University of Connecticut in the middle of the night I didn't tell anyone it's insane. I know. <laughs> I was when I was insane. This, yeah. I was like, wait, what? I didn't know about this. Yeah. I escaped from you school. escaped. Uh-huh. So you you're in the car. You go to Yukon. You're there for 48 hours. Yeah. You run away. Where did you where'd you go? Like, where where did the car go with your friend? <laughs> she took me home to okay. my home in Delaware. And like, okay. it's like a scene out of a movie. <laughs> my friend was like, I'm not coming like your parents cannot know who dropped you off and like still to this day I will not say this person's name no um, way yeah Wait, you, I just, no nobody knows who this is you've kept their their identity a secret Amanda knows my wife knows. okay other okay. than that it's a very kept guarded secret because okay. I thank that person <laughs> for being wow. a really great friend in the moment um So like they dropped me off and I like walked down the driveway with like some of my stuff. Um, And it's like a rainy morning. I think it was probably like six in the morning and I knock on the door. My mom. Because you drove you drove through the night. Then through the night. The the cover of darkness. (laughs) Yeah. Back to Delaware. Like back to Delaware. I knock on the door. It's raining. My mom opens the door. And then I think she screamed my dad's name. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she's like, Ernie. Come down here. Um, and there I was. But my mom like saw the look in my eyes and just knew like, okay, this isn't just a little homesickness thing where mm. we'll send you back and get this figured out. Like it was a big moment of like, there's something way deeper going on here, um, which was, yes, homesickness from Lizzie. Um, but more than that, like I had been dealing with a lot of burnout too and just it, it wasn't going to be in my best interest to head back. So we kind of worked through it that summer, <laughs> figured out a new route to take. Yeah. So what did the initial 
reaction look like from like at what point did your coach know you were no longer there <laughs> or your team <laughs> I think um I'm pretty sure my mom reached out to my coach first okay I think that's how it went down okay because it was still early I don't think my roommate even would have known that I was gone it was 6 a.m because I yeah my roommate was sleeping and I left in the middle of the night and it was still early and college students sleep in yes. so yeah, I'm pretty sure my mom contacted them immediately and okay. was like, just so you know, Elena's here, <laughs> like here in Delaware. And um, yeah, she kind of handled those conversations at first. Okay. <laughs> and then later on in the summer, I did have like a sit down with Gino, um, which I think will always have a really special bond because of the way that he handled that for me and didn't forced things upon me, um, didn't make me feel uncomfortable in that moment and gave me the space I needed, but also accepted the fact when I told him, like, I'm not coming back. Like, this just isn't it for me. Like, he was okay with it and um, kind of just let me go do something else. Yeah, that's, mm -hmm. I mean, it's such a crazy story, but so <laughs> thankful for him to be understanding and to to realize, like, this isn't, as good as you were, you were the best of the best coming out of high school. <laughs> Obviously, you should be going to UConn, but it just wasn't, that wasn't what was meant to be for you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. What was that summer like in terms of working through things, figuring out what you wanted? Mm -hmm. What did that look like? So that summer, I like threw myself back into Lizzie's life. Um, I went and I volunteered at her school, um, where she had gone when she was really young. So I was working with like second and third graders and working with Lizzie's old teacher. And I was also going to the facility that Liz goes to throughout the week um, and helping out there as well and actually doing like art with the residents and different things like that. I did not touch a basketball. Um, in my mind, I had quit that for good. Wow. But okay. I threw myself, yeah, I just threw myself into a whole different passion and it was like one of the greatest summers of my life. And the kids like didn't know me as a basketball player at all, but they just loved me for being their teacher and helping out. So it was a really great experience and kind of just helped me realize who I was outside of basketball. That's amazing. Thanks. Yeah, I, it just had been many, many years of me only defining myself as Elena, the basketball player. And I think I needed, I really had to step out and kind of figure out who I was outside of all that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, props to you for running away. Like some people wouldn't have the ability or just be like, all right, I'm going to do it. Like I, this isn't it. And to fall through yeah. on that. So, I mean, I, I can't imagine going through what you did, but so thankful that you <laughs> did because it led you to where you needed to be. Definitely. So at what point did you end up at Delaware? Like how did that happen? It was actually coming towards the end of the summer where like, fall semester was going to be starting up in a few weeks. And um, one of my friends from high school reached out to me and was like, hey, she was playing volleyball at the University of Delaware at this time. And she was like, so my volleyball coach like came up to me and was like, is that Deladon girl going to go play? What's happening what? with her? What's going on over there? <laughs> what? Yeah, where's that girl at? <laughs> um, and she was like, do you have any interest of like maybe walking on? As a volleyball player. Yeah, as, as a volleyball player. Crazy. Okay. And I had played like maybe like eight games of volleyball my senior year. Oh, I thought, thought you were going to say your life. I was like, wait, what? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. My Actually, it was my senior year of high school because the middle hitter like broke her ankle and they just needed someone to jump in and fill the role. So I did and like had no idea what I was doing. So anyways, did that. That was like my one time with volleyball. And then I get this call and I was like, I mean, I kind of, I really enjoyed playing volleyball when I did it my senior year. Like, sure, why not? And I wanted to go to college. Like, I really wanted that experience. I knew staying at home and taking a gap year or whatever that would have been wasn't in my best interest. Like, I was excited to go to college and experience new things and I've also been a part of my t a team my entire life. So like the thought of at least going and like having this volleyball team, I was like, sure. Yeah. So I got signed up for the University of Delaware and bam, I am on a college volleyball team in like two days. <laughs> that like, <laughs> again, when I was, when I was preparing for this, I was like, there's so many turns here. Like, <laughs> like wait, yeah, what? Now she's playing exactly. volleyball? Like, huh? 
Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um, and like I said, I didn't know much about volleyball. So like my first few practices, I wasn't even in with the team. Like the coach would take me to the side and was like, this is how you hold your yeah. arms. Oh like God. this is how you slide. She was like putting like long socks on my arms because I was so bad at sliding and like diving. Yeah. So I was like the little kid in the corner, like trying to learn how to play. Luckily, I ended up picking it up and doing really well. And um, it was a great season. So you played a whole season with Delaware Volleyball. Yes, an entire season. And in your mind, like, I just, I still can't get over the fact that you're the number one recruit for basketball. Yeah. Commit to UConn, <laughs> leave UConn, go to Delaware for volleyball and play. Mm -hmm. So at what point did, did bask and, and, and that, and you had shut the door on basketball. Oh yeah. Like I was so done. I like became like locked in, like volleyball is going to be my thing. Like, bam, I'm going to be an Olympic volleyball player. Like I was like, go getter in volleyball. Um, I wanted to like change my position and play all around. Like I had all these goals. But then in volleyball, it's to me that speaks to like your mentality as an athlete that you <laughs> go from being the best of the best in one sport and then you shut the door on that in college and are like, I'm going to go like, to the Olympics in volleyball. This is it. Like, I can do that. That's definitely a, what I had tried to convince myself. Of. Yeah, um, yeah. So who knows what would have happened, but I really liked it. I picked it up pretty quickly. Um, so that was going to be my goal. And then once the season like finished up and I wasn't able to be like distracted by like mm. volleyball season anymore and then basketball season's happening and then the final four is on and I'm like kind of watching it, kind of trying to ignore it. I like had the moment of like, what the heck am I doing? Like I put all this time and effort into basketball. Um, like I was the best in my class, like what am I doing right now? <laughs> so that kind of happened during final four ish. And I gave myself like time, like it had to obviously be me deciding yeah. to come back because I was not going to come back and then leave again, like, and not play. Like it needed to be for real. No running away. In the <laughs> I didn't want to be, yeah, I didn't want to be flaky with it again. <laughs> um, so I kind of let some time pass. And then finally I just knew like, I'm definitely going to play again, but I love Delaware and I'm going to play here. So I called a meeting with my volleyball coach and literally like right when I said it, she was like, the moment you join this team, I was waiting for the moment that you would walk in and say this to me. And like, she, she was so happy yeah. that I was getting back to basketball and my true love and passion. Um, so it was a bit of a left turn but then I kind of got back on the right track I mean thank goodness for that coach if she if that volleyball coach wouldn't have inquired about you wanting to play you might not have ever ended up at Delaware played another sport and then realized yeah. what am I doing exactly because if I had like completely gotten out of even playing sports or like working out who knows if I even would have returned to basketball again like I think playing volleyball at least kept me like going and in, in that mode to yeah. then be able to transfer back over to basketball. <laughs> so what was it like to go back to your first basketball practice? Um, was it weird? Yes, it was weird. But really, it was like summertime where I started like doing like workouts with the team. And at that point, it's just like lifting and some individual workouts. So it kind of made like the transition easy. My first game back was like very stressful because it was like ESPN is there. I hadn't played like a game of basketball in a really long time. So like yeah. that first game back, I had a lot of nerves, but it went well. And yeah, yeah it went it, very well. It, <laughs> you were the third highest scoring player in the country your freshman season. <laughs> I did not know that actually. So there you go. fun fact there. Well, I do. Fun, fun fact. Yeah. And your junior and senior seasons, your consensus first team All-American and National Player of the Year candidate. <laughs> and you're also the first Delaware player to ever be named an All-American. So, so it went, went well. <laughs> it went pretty well. Yeah. It, I would say it was a crazy path, but it was definitely the right one for me. And I had so much fun through my college journey. Like it just, it's exactly what I needed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I just, I find the decision of college for kids, especially in high school, so interesting because 
like you said, you don't, you don't know what you want. You internalize, like some people internalize a lot. I was the same way. I didn't know, do I want a big school, small school, state school, private school? Like, how are you supposed to know you're 15? Exactly. And they're like, make this decision about that can potentially change the course of your life at this young age. So it's, um, it's a lot for a kid. And then like, also pick your major and that'll be the job you have for the rest of your life. Like all these decisions feel huge, which I feel like nobody ever even follows like in that path of that decision that they make. But um, for sure, yeah, it's a lot on a kid. It is. Mm-hmm. But good for you for actually listening to everything that you were internalizing yeah. and doing what you needed to do. Thank you. Um, so during college, you are diagnosed with Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. And can you talk about that a little bit? You, I, I read that the first sign of this was when you asked to be taken out of a game mm-hmm. for the first time in your career. Yeah. So do you remember that? And mm-hmm. can you kind of give a little bit of background on on that? Yeah. So I had contracted Lyme, um, I think it was like summer of 2008, like before I had gone away to college. And it was, I didn't get a bullseye rash, but I was pretty sick immediately. Um, my doctor tested me. I had Lyme. I went on the regular dose of doxycycline for a month and I was fine. Like I thought it was gone. I never thought I'd have to deal with that again. Um, And then it was my, would have been my second year of playing basketball. So basically third year of college. All of a sudden I just like was feeling so exhausted, like almost like I had the flu, like just Hmm. extreme muscle cramps, um, so much fatigue that I was sleeping like nonstop. And like, I remember I even, I was in class with one of my best friends and I was like, I'm like so tired right now. It hurts to breathe. But like, I kind of just kept, yeah, it was just something I've never felt in my entire life. Um, So I just kind of kept trying to like push through it. My doctors kept telling me like, nothing's wrong. Like we've run all this blood work. We've done all these tests. I had like heart tests done um, and just nothing was showing up. So it was like super confusing. Then I was told like, oh, you're going through burnout again. Like you just don't want to play basketball. This is all in your head. And I was like, no, I actually, I really do want to play basketball. And yeah, like I, this is not in my head. Like I know my body, I feel horrible. So I was in a game and I like burned one of my coaches timeouts, which you don't burn timeouts, but I was that tired that I just called one and I come <laughs> and, and I was like, Time out. So I tell her, I'm like, look, you got to pull me out. I'm not doing well. So she's like, you're fine. Like, keep playing. So I go back in and finally I just subbed myself out and I walked straight to the locker room and just collapsed on the floor. And I was just laying there and couldn't move. They ended up bringing my mom back and she's like looking at me like, oh my God, like what's going on? And I was like, I am dying. Like, I think I need to just go to the hospital. Like, I don't know what's going on. I know everybody's saying it's in my head, but I am literally dying right now. <laughs> Somebody needs to help, like, me. help me. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Put IVs in me, whatever that might be. Just help me. Just do something. Yeah. So wow. luckily my journey through college was like documented pretty well in the newspaper. And um, it had come out that I was dealing with an illness, but like not really sure what it was. And some random person read the article, reached out to my family, and they were like, this might sound crazy, but this happened to me. And it sounds a lot like you've got chronic reoccurring Lyme. So she sent me to a doctor in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And this doctor has saved my life and like given me life again. Like it's, if I didn't find her, I don't know what would have happened. That's crazy. Again, another crazy, (laughs) another weird, crazy thing. (laughs) And because Lyme disease is an autoimmune disease, Mm -hmm. correct? Yes. So it's basically, yeah, like chronic fatigue, all those, all the symptoms you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't figure it out, like that would be your reality. For sure. Yeah. At at one time, somebody did try to say I had chronic fatigue and basically my playing career or any sense of life was going to be much different because I would just be so tired for the rest of my life. But thank God I didn't take that diagnosis and just like be okay with it. And I'm so lucky that that woman reached out and I was able to like get the care and the help that I needed. 
And it's just so weird with Lyme. Like I've had it for over 10 years now. And yes, you hear of it more, but like there's still so many unknowns. Um, yeah, that's what I feel like. Yeah. And people just don't understand it and don't understand how it can be chronic. Don't understand how one patient can have it and have all these symptoms where this patient could have completely different ones. It's a very confusing illness that the medical world just has not figured out. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you found that doctor and we're able to figure out how to manage it Mm -hmm. um, because I can't imagine not. It's crazy. So you have that diagnosis. You're able to sort through it, figure it out, get back to a place where you are playing. Mm -hmm. You're playing very well. You end up the number two pick in the WNBA draft coming out of college. Mm -hmm. So what was that like? What was being drafted into the WNBA like for you? It was amazing. Like it was just one of those moments, like it's hard to even put to words because I was like brought back to being the little girl in Cheryl Swoops' shoes, like dreaming of that moment. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is it. This is time. Like I somehow, somehow, (laughs) as crazy as this journey has been, I did make it to the place I wanted to be when I was that little girl. Yeah. Setting out all these goals for myself. So I soaked it in and um, I was off to Chicago pretty. Yeah. And you crushed it in your rookie year. You end up being named rookie of the year. And I'm curious, was there any point before you got drafted during your rookie year, were you ever, was there ever hesitation in your mind? Like, I'm not sure if I still want to do this or like once you were in it, you were like, I want this. And ever since you left UConn, it was kind of like all in. Yeah. And I feel like everybody was questioning, like, is she really going to do this? Um, But I knew like in my heart of hearts, I was so excited to get to Chicago and to start playing and competing with my team. But after like 48 hours of being in Chicago, I think I sent my mom like fireworks (laughs) emojis. Like I made it. Hour 49 in a new place. It's like, like okay, we're good. We're, we're good. good. She's there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do think people were kind of like watching. I think even I'm sure Chicago was probably a little nervous. Like, are you actually going to stay here or what, what's going to happen? Um, but I was all in and I was just like so excited to be able to compete and be in the league that I had dreamt of being in my whole life. Yeah. It's cool. The Cheryl Swoops thing is cool to see it. Like, you know, you wore her shoes and then you're like, oh, I'm going and playing in the WNBA. For sure. That's awesome. It came full circle. Yeah, definitely. Which is, I like love stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel like there was a big learning curve? I mean, you won rookie of the year. So Mm -hmm. did you feel, were you stressed as a rookie? Like, were you, oh no, I got this. I'm comfortable. What did it look like? I actually felt pretty comfortable playing in the W because- (laughs) When I was at Delaware, like every defense, there was so much attention on me where when I got to the WNBA and I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm not having to deal with these double teams and weird defenses. Like I was able to kind of settle in and like, it was great. I loved playing that type of basketball. And I did have to learn more of like playing without the ball always in my hands because at Delaware, I always had the ball. So I had to learn more, um, you know, things, how to move, how to get people open, but I felt pretty comfortable right away. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, it makes sense. Yeah. At Delaware, you're like, get it, like, get, everybody. Get off of me. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then you're like, you can go, you can go mark her over there. Yeah. So that makes sense. Um, rookie year, great year. Rookie of the year. Second year, you had to leave Chicago temporarily to battle Lyme disease. Yeah. Um, Can you, because that was probably what your first time having to step away from the game as a pro. Mm -hmm. So what was that like? And it's not like an injury that people, you kind of touched on this before. It's not an injury. It's not like you rolled your ankle. It's something confusing for even medical professionals. So for people to understand that. Yeah, it was really hard because in those moments, like I'm so sick that I'm like too tired to even explain like what's going on. Mm. And the fact that I have to explain myself gets to be exhausting, but like, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at the time, my team didn't really know what that was or what I was going through or like why I had to go literally be in Lancaster, Pennsylvania with that Lyme doctor to help get me through it. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was it was definitely a tough moment. And it was like, maybe this pro career isn't for me. Like maybe it's too much on my body, especially with this illness that I'm dealing with. But um, thankfully, Amanda and I had been together for a good while. And, um, 
I was actually in New York when the relapse like got really bad. And I told my coach, like, I'm going to have to go home. Like, I'm Mm. not coming back on the trip to Chicago. Like, I've got to go do my IVs and whatnot um, with my Lyme doctor. And they got me a car. I went back to Delaware. And then I called Amanda, like, very sad, crying probably, um, just upset about what was going on. And I also just felt terrible. (laughs) And immediately she was in Chicago. She packed the two dogs up and she was on her way to good old Delaware. Um, And she literally drove me back and forth from Delaware to Lancaster to all of my appointments. She sat with me through my infusions and all different treatments I had to get. So she was the one that kept me like going through that moment of just like, I can't believe this is happening again. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Well, crazy. Yeah. It's a quite a weird illness. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but you you end up getting back. Mm-hmm. You guys, you're in the finals that year. Yeah. Second year of the league. You end up suffering a back injury. <laughs> yeah. In those playoffs. Yeah. This is like a theme. <laughs> yeah. I know. And I hate that. But like at the same time, you've also accomplished so much yeah. having to deal with so many injuries and illnesses, like to me, that's incredible. So for you, where do you think that your strength comes from in moments of, I guess you, you could call it weakness? Like, Yeah, I think my strength comes from growing up and being able to watch the strength that my sister shows every single day and knowing like if she can do what she has done and what she's gone through, I mean, she's gone through over 30 surgeries in her life, whether that be spinal, eye surgeries, ear surgeries. So like what I was able to witness growing up and the strength that I was able to see in her and her grit just to keep going, to keep smiling, keep giggling, belly giggling that makes everybody else around her laugh. Like, I think that's where I'm always able to kind of draw my strength from because she's always been my role model and my hero. And I'm like, this is nothing compared to what she has to do on a daily basis. So I think it's helped me to just be like, what I'm doing is nothing. This isn't this isn't that much like she's done so much more. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, You end up coming back third year. Yeah. After hurting your back and you're named league MVP in 2015 which is incredible. And I think a lot of people, you tell them, oh, number one recruit, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, number two pick in the draft, rookie of the year, they would think like, oh, that makes sense. You're gonna, you're gonna win MVP one day. Yeah. But everyone listening to this episode, listening (laughs) to this podcast is like, no, that's not, I mean, yours was anything but the normal progression. So, (laughs) or the normal story. Mm -hmm. So would you say that winning that award was there any extra significance to you yeah getting that there was because it kind of just solidified that uh, I mean I feel like a lot of people still had always like questioned me Mm. um and questioned like my love of the game and all of that and it was like finally this like solidifies what I have done in this game what I've been through what I've been able to overcome and like all the haters who thought that that crazy girl from the University of Delaware wasn't going to make it as a pro, the runaway from Delaware, (laughs) who would never make it as a pro. Like the moment I came away with MVP, like that was huge because even the rookie of the year, that was big. Um, But I still feel like people were thinking like, she's going to fall off. Like she's, she's going to run away. (laughs) Do you feel like that was extra motivation that you knew in the back of your mind, there's people out there that were doubting you Mm -hmm. and thinking she's going to run away or she's not going to make it to her full potential because you know what happened in the past yeah do do you think that motivated you it definitely motivated me as much as I like in the moment would have said like I don't listen to what those people are saying (laughs) I have my people that's all that matters like I heard the noise (laughs) and I knew like that was definitely extra motivation for me to like get back and to do something that nobody really thought I'd be able to do for sure I can see why. Yeah. And I feel like just even talking to you, it wasn't just like, oh, I, I can prove that I can do this. I'm good enough. It's that like, I want to do this. Exactly. And I love basketball. Mm-hmm. And like, I want to be at the best that I can possibly do. Yeah. And to be at the best you possibly can be, you have to love it and you have to have a passion for it. So yeah. I feel like finally people stopped asking me like, are you sure you like this? Like you want to do this? And I'm like, thank <laughs> goodness. Like this can leave me. 
and people won't be questioning me. <laughs> that was a consistent theme. Yes, consistent theme. I felt like almost every interview. Really? Connecticut was brought up in every interview. And it yeah. was like, finally, that was like, shut the door on that. And people understood that I was here in this league to stay and to compete. And you can move on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like, all right. I've answered that question. Um, yeah. Yeah. So jumping ahead, um, in 2017, you're traded to the Mystics. But mm-hmm. in 2019, you had one of the most incredible seasons in basketball history. Um, you're named MVP for the second time and only the sixth player to ever win it multiple times. Did you know that? Is that a fun fact? I did not know okay, that. That is another, <laughs> another fun that's fact. That's a very fun fact. <laughs> JWS coming in with the fun facts. With the fun with facts. The fun here. facts. Yeah. So, so two time MVP, and um, you guys go to the playoffs and you're in the finals for the third time. But on top of that, I want to talk about you're the first WNBA player to ever make the 50 40 90 club. I don't know what yeah. that is. So, can you explain it? Oh, okay. <laughs> So you have to be 50% from twos. Okay. You have to be 40 or above from threes. Okay. And then 90 or above from... Free throw? Exactly. Hey, you got look it. Look what I got there. You're a basketball guru now. <laughs> I, I knew it. You just, I just need a little help. Um, yeah. That's incredible. Thank you. It was um, quite stressful the last few was, games. <laughs> like every time you're putting up a shot, were you like, do I want to <laughs> do this? Will it mess up my percentage? Like the last game... It was a little bit more of that. Um, not really, though. I was playing free. Um, like once the ball is tossed up, you just play to win yeah, and try not sure. to focus on that. But like you're not doing the the math in your head. Of no, my wife okay. was. <laughs> my wife definitely was. Like there was a game. I think it was like probably like three games before like the end of the season. And I was off. Like I was missing so many shots. Like they thought I had had the 50, 40, 90, but I almost blew it in that game. <laughs> you almost so just gave it away. I almost oh completely gave it away. So before my final game, when I was eating my pregame breakfast that Amanda always makes me my pregame breakfast, she was like, you know, what is it? What is it? We got to hear it's, what is um, it? eggs, okay. pancakes, hash browns, and bacon. It's super healthy. <laughs> Scrambled or fried eggs? No, I go over medium. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Nice. That's good. I like that breakfast. So yeah, I eat like a massive breakfast and then later I'll have like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something. Okay. I keep it light yeah. before the game. I'm the same way. But yeah, she never like talks basketball to me. <laughs> okay. But that morning she had to get it off her chest that she was like, okay, it's your last regular season game. You're already, you have the number one spot in the playoffs. Like you have home court advantage. If you seem like you're off, stop shooting. <laughs> like just... <laughs> don't shoot the rest of the game. And I was like, this is the worst pregame talk of my life. Like, thank you. No, that's you. incredible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was like, just, just stop. And that's it. But actually I ended up having like a good game. Offense was flowing. Things went well. I was able to do it the right way. <laughs> and you secured it. The only WNBA player ever to do that. Yeah. I was very surprised. I didn't really know what the 50, 40, 90 club was until I was made aware that like I was en route to you were do on. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was really cool. Like it's something I get to kind of just take away for the rest of my life. Like that's, I've done that. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Tuck it, tuck it in the bag. That's, yeah. That's efficient right there. Keep that one. <laughs> um, so on top of MVP and being the most efficient um, score in the WNBA ever, you guys are also in the finals mm-hmm. and in game two of the finals, you leave because of a back injury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was like such a simple play too. Like I had the ball on the block. I turned to go up for a layup. And in that moment, it just felt like somebody stabbed me like right in the back. And I'd been in that moment before when I was in Chicago for the playoffs. Yeah. And it's like, that pain of like just not being able to move. Um, so immediately I went off the court and there was no way I was going to make it back into that game. And thankfully we had a few days off in between uh, that game and the next one. And with a lot of work um, from doctors and from my trainer, which I think like nearly every waking hour of the day, like that my eyes were open, I had hands on me, like trying to just work through 
the stiffness and the guarding that my body was doing to try to protect my spine. Um, yeah. And then luckily I was able to kind of just get back on court, um, not move quite great, but <laughs> just be there as a leader at least and try yeah. to like facilitate offense in any way I could. You find out later you had three herniated discs in your back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you end up playing. <laughs> yeah. I just like, I don't, I don't understand how. <laughs> I basically told them like the doctors and the trainers, like just find a way to get me on the court. Okay. And I'll figure it out. Like, just get me standing vertically and I'll be able to get on the court and figure it out. So, yeah, I mean, in no way was I able to play the way I could have if I was, like, free. But my team was just so good and so efficient, had so many great players, a really deep bench that they literally just carried me through. And I just kind of would come out there and stand on the court and be a leader and hope (laughs) That if I was open, I was able to like stiffly shoot my shot. And <laughs> that's all that I really had to do. It's insane. And you end up, you guys go, you, you go to game five. So yeah. you have to play. It's like, could you have not won in three or like four? Right. <laughs> you know, and we had an early. We so had the chance to do it in four. And it was like, oh, so heartbreaking. I'm like, you kidding me. <laughs> You're kidding me. I have to do this again. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And you guys defeat the Connecticut Suns and you win your first WNBA title with three herniated discs in your back. <laughs> yeah. What did it feel like when the final buzzer went off? It was, oh my gosh, it was amazing. It was emotional. I don't think I could have handled the heartbreak of losing that after what I put my body through. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I don't know if I would have come back from that one. That would have been, that would have been really tough. Like to, yeah literally give my back and to not win. So thank God we did it. I was so emotional, so happy. Um, I had done it with my coach too, who was like the winningest coach in the WNBA. But the one thing he had never done was win a WNBA championship. So it was just so cool to share in that moment. And then all of my teammates except for one had never won before. So like, we just, we really loved each other. I know that People will say that, but like this team really had it all together in the locker room, which makes winning that much more fun because like we truly wanted it more for the person next to us than for ourselves. And it was just amazing to celebrate. Yeah, it definitely makes it special. Mm -hmm. Um, At what point did you realize I'm going to have to get surgery? Did you know that like during the finals or after? So I thought like maybe I could do some injections Um, Okay. And like, maybe that would get me by and like do a ton of strengthening. And maybe I would be able to avoid surgery because I don't know, you just hear that you don't want to have to do back surgery, um, unless it's a must. But unfortunately, I, I gave myself the time after to really try to work my way back um, and to get stronger, but it just wasn't happening. And my MRI just showed like, I wasn't going to be able to get around it. So I had that first surgery. And here I am today, still uh, trying to get back. <laughs> yeah. So you have the surgery in January 2020. Mm-hmm. And then and at that point, was it getting the surgery? Were you thinking, oh, I'll be back for the 2020 season? Or was it already you're like, no, I'm not going to. No. It's not going to be possible. I mean, I thought I'd be able to get back for the 2020 season. And um, yeah, I mean, the time frame they say is three months. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Like super quick which I was like, oh, awesome. I'll be back. But I wasn't, I wasn't ready. Even though I opted out of the season for my Lyme disease um, and COVID, there's no way my back would have been ready for that season. Okay. So then, you know, I'd been training, strengthening all this. And unfortunately, um, I started getting that like really bad nerve pain down my leg again. And was like, oh my God, like, how is this back? Like what? I didn't do anything. Like this shouldn't be back. And got another MRI and I had a bigger herniation than the first surgery. Wow. <laughs> Which it was very frustrating to hear. So I knew immediately I was going to have to go back in for surgery number two, which was early December of 2020. Okay. And so to rewind just a little bit, you have the surgery, the first surgery in January, 2020, mm-hmm. um, COVID hits. Yeah. WNBA you know, figures out we're going to do bubble season. You submit a medical opt out to a request to the league um, because of Lyme disease, Mm -hmm. but you're denied. Yeah. I remember watching this go down last summer and just being like, what? 
How? Yeah. I mean, it never even crossed my mind that I would be denied. Like I have missed me either. <laughs> several WNBA games. Like it's been well documented throughout my career, this illness that I've been fighting for so long. And then it's like, are you kidding me? It got denied. And it was kind of like one of those moments again. It's like, here we go again. Like it's been over 10 years since I first had this disease where no one believed that I was sick. And it's no different right now. So that's why I decided to like come out and talk about what happened and how I was denied mm -hmm. that. And just the struggles of dealing with chronic Lyme and not being believed. Um, and, you know, it was an emotional article and I just wanted to be as honest as possible um, about what happened to me. And through that, I was able to like speak to so many Lyme fighters out there that like definitely inspired me with their stories. And um, I'm glad I was able to share it because I've been able to even grow my community of Lyme people uh, and just have people to reach out to. Yeah, that's awesome. And on top of that, the mystics stepped up and said, yeah, you know, we're going to pay your salary for the year, regardless of this being denied. Exactly. Um, what did that mean to you? The mystics has always been like such an incredible organization and such a family to me. Um, that them stepping up and doing that once again, just solidified like how great this place is. This is where I will always play my career. Nice. Like as long as they want me. Uh, yeah. So go DC. yeah, go DC. I love it here. And, um, the mystics organization has just been first class from start to now. And yeah, I love being here. Good. I can't wait to come to a game when we're allowed to. I know. Yeah. We're going to have to. Go to each other's games yes, for sure. Definitely, definitely. Um, so you kind of touched it on already, but where are you at now? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how are you feeling going into this year, um, potentially this season? What where where's your head at? <laughs> yeah, um, I am feeling really good. I've got awesome people that I'm working with and able to work with now, like in a facility where after the first surgery, a lot of my uh, therapy was virtual because it was when the mm. lockdowns of COVID just started. So yeah. I've been able to work with these awesome therapists who really are helping me. But then also mentally, I'm trying to just take things day by day, um, trying not to like put a date on anything because I know that the only way for me to be my best and to get the healthiest I can is to only lock in on that day. Um, and like I said, since the organization is so great, I feel like I have that support from them. Like, take your time, get back yeah. when you're ready. And um, that's kind of just where I'm at. And hopefully I'll be back sooner than later. Nice. I love it. And that's absolutely right. You got to just take it day by day. No yeah. point to get ahead of yourself. And there's also no point to come back sooner than you can mm -hmm. because you just got to be, you got to get back to 100% and you can't can't push it. You know that. Yeah. I don't, I'm preaching to the choir. No, but hey, it's always good to hear it. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I know any, anytime somebody is going through an injury, it's like, and myself included, like hearing it from somebody else being like, all right, yes. Yeah. Just day by day. It helps to hear it. It's like, oh, uh, you're just like dying to get back out there and rush it. But I do know that can't happen. And I just have to get myself ready. For sure. Um, well, I got to ask about your side hustle off the court business <laughs> outside of being literally one of the world's best basketball players. You're also a professional woodworker running yes. your own at home business with your wife, Amanda. Can you tell me the story behind this? Like it looks so cool Thank and you. I want to know how you got into it. So yeah, we started this company. It's called Del Don designs and, um, it's been a process. We actually started in 2016. And it was when we were living in Delaware during the off season and going back to Chicago for my seasons. And um, we started it by just like being into DIY and we had made a uh, coffee table and put it on Instagram. And from there we saw like people being like, what is that? Where can we buy that? And Amanda being the business brain that she is was like, we should start selling these. So we kind of started off more as like a table company. Okay. And which, you taught yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we taught ourselves. Um, we had a friend who was super handy too and taught us some of the things she knew. And then YouTube, you can learn a lot on yeah. YouTube. Um, and just like studying it. And then we were a table company, which wasn't like too bright at the time because it's really hard to ship tables. Mm. Like they're super heavy to get the base 
all that. It was yeah. a lot. Um, and then the transition of coming to DC was happening and then we didn't have a space to continue the woodworking. So we kind of just stopped okay. for a few years. And then um, this past summer when I opted out of the season and COVID hit, um, that's when it was like, should we like get this thing back up again and see what happens? And we kind of rebranded. We renamed to Del Don, D-E-L-D-O-N. Uh, we got a new logo and we revamped. And now we have a full-blown woodworking company. Um, we do a lot of like wooden art. Um, we've done charcuterie boards, cutting boards, you name it, we've done it. Um, and then also hoops. Like that's my, my biggest thing is I create miniature basketball hoops. No way. That's and so yeah, cool. <laughs> so yeah, we're in the process right now of like creating a hoop gallery where we've created like all different hoop designs. So it's been, um, really fun for us. That's really cool. I love it. Thank you. Like, I'll have to have you to the wood shop. Yeah. One day. Wait, I <laughs> yeah. would love that. Give It'd me a little, great. a crash course in woodworking. I would love that. Oh my gosh. We got you. Sweet. We got you. Amazing. Oh my God. Uh, I'm, I'm like really excited now. <laughs> um, all right. So we've come to the end and now we're at a repeat questions part of the episode. So the first one is... Um, the Just Women's Sports podcast is presented by Heineken and celebrates women in sports at the top of their game, where each athlete is unique and successful and has a story to tell. So who's the one person in your life that has had the biggest impact on your career and why? Hmm. That's a tough one. I'm going to have to say two people. Okay. You can, we can give you two. Okay. One is definitely my sister. Um, just like through all the ups and downs of this crazy journey of mine, um, she's been my perspective and the way I've gotten back. And then the other one has been Amanda. Um, since finding Amanda, like I've had so much more joy and love in everything that I do. So she's a big guide for my career now. I love both of those <laughs> and the reasons behind them. So cheers to Lizzie and Amanda. Cheers. Cheers, yes. Um, all right, they say work hard, get lucky. How much of your success is predicated on luck? Um, I mean, I would say there's always a bit of luck um, in success, but I would also like to say there's way more hard work and way more hours that have been put into it. So maybe I'd say like 80-20. Nice. And a lot of the luck is just kind of being in the right place at the right time for certain parts of my career. Absolutely agree. All right. So you've accomplished so much already. Where do you go next and how do you keep pushing? Next would be to do it again, to come back from this long journey of being injured um, and these back surgeries and to come back and win another championship. I think that would just be like such icing on the cake to be able to get back to where we were. Love it. Well, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for the time um, and sitting down and talking with me today. Your story like I said in the beginning, is insane, but in the best way possible. And thank you. I love just where you've ended up in life and where you're at now. And I'm excited, like I said, to come out and cheer you on, um, hopefully soon at a, at a Mystics game and, and then get a little crash course in woodworking. Of course, that's that's happening. <laughs> Amazing. And yeah, we're, we might have to video some of that. Yeah, oh, we should, <laughs> let's do it. We gotta do it. Yeah, Awesome. I'm in. Awesome, all right. Thank you, Elena, this was incredible. Appreciate you. Of course. Thanks so much for listening. Our show is produced by Just Women Sports. For more great sports content, go to justwomensports.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Big thanks to our presenting sponsor, Heineken. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to the Just Women Sports Podcast. Catch you next time.